We are a community that values questions as much as we value answers. We are a community where we accept one another and encourage each other to grow spiritually. We are First Unitarian. I'm Reverend Bob Lavalley. It's so good to see you again after a month of personal and study leave. I'm very glad to be here with our senior minister, Reverend Angela Herrera, and our worship leader, Judy Goring. And we're blessed to have today's music provided by First Use house band, Spare Parts. Our DJ today is William Baker, and our tech team is Arnie Golarud, Jordan Jones, and Cheryl Romanek. Thank you so much for helping to make it happen. And our time for all ages today is from our greatest hits collection, so you may remember it. If you're visiting, we love it when you put your name and location in the chat so we can say hello. Judy has a couple of announcements. Good morning. Thank you to everyone who has donated so far to the social justice auction coming up on Saturday, August 27th. That being said, we still need donations. Do you have something to contribute from the stock of stuff at home? Perhaps you have a skill or service you can offer, or would you like the chance to host a specialty dinner at your home? Download a donation form from the Social Justice Auction page linked in the chat. All donations are due by August 21st. We are also selling tickets there for $10, which includes dinner, dessert, entertainment, and childcare. If you will be taking advantage of the childcare service, please let us know as soon so we can arrange to have the necessary staffing in place. For the first time since 2019, Connection Sunday is returning to the First Unitarian Courtyard on Sunday, August 28th. But that's not all. There will be a virtual Connection Sunday on Sunday, September 11th at 10 a.m. too. Connection Sundays are an opportunity to find your community within a large community's church community. You can visit participating church groups at tables or in breakout rooms to find out more about what they do and sign up to participate. This is the one time of the year you can sign up for covenant groups too. Be sure to mark your calendar for those dates. If you are the leader of a church group or committee, be sure to check your email for a message from Laura Magnuson about how to reserve your spot. Her email is also listed in the chat. The words for our chalice reading this morning is from Julianne Lepp. We seek our place in the world and the answers to our heart's deep questions as we seek May our hearts be open to unexpected answers. May the light of our chalice remind us that this is a community of warmth, of wisdom, 
of welcoming and multiple truths. There are more questions and answers Pictures in my mind I will not show There are more questions and answers And the more that I find out, the less I know Yeah, the more that I find out, the less I know I've asked the question time and time again Why is there so little love among men? But what is life? How do we live? What should we take? And how much should we give? There are more questions and answers Pictures in my mind I will not show There are more questions and answers the more that I find out, the less I know Yeah, the more that I find out, the less I know Universalists. We are people of faith with open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, there lived an emperor with a very inflated opinion of himself. Because he was rich and powerful, he believed he must be special. In fact, he believed God had blessed him with all of his riches and good looks more than everyone else because he was better than everyone else. The emperor especially loved new clothes. So much 
that he had made the people he ruled pay extra taxes just to fund his fashion habit. After all, he thought, he deserved it. He had a different costume for every mood. One day, two strangers came to the emperor's city. They said that they were fashion designers and that they knew how to sew the finest suits imaginable. Not only were the colors and the fabric extraordinarily beautiful, but in addition, the suits had the amazing property that only God's favorite people could see them. To everyone else, they were invisible. The emperor immediately gave the two strangers a whole bunch of money to make him a suit. They set up their sewing machines and they pretended to go to work, although there was no fabric in their hands. They asked for the finest buttons and purest gold buckles, all of which they hid away, continuing to work on the empty sewing machines all day long. The emperor said he looked forward to seeing their creation, but he was a little bit uneasy. Of course, he told himself he had nothing to fear because he was sure he was among God's favorite people. After all, God had made him the richest, most powerful person in the land, but still, the emperor decided to send his friend, the minister, in to take a look. Surely a minister was also one of God's favorite people. But when the minister got there and the two strangers invited him to come close and look at their progress, the minister only saw them holding up empty air. Uh-oh, he thought to himself, no one can find out about this. What do you think? said one of the strangers. Oh, it is so elegant, said the minister. Truly special. I'll tell the emperor how beautiful it is. He went back to the emperor and did just that, even though he had not seen anything at all. And then, as if to prove how much the new suit had impressed him, he suggested that the emperor wear the suit in a procession all through the town to really show it off. Meanwhile, the strangers kept pretending to work. Everybody could see how busy they seemed, even if no one would admit that they couldn't see any actual fabric. The strangers cut the air with large scissors. They sewed with needles, but no thread. Finally, they announced, behold, the suit is finished. The emperor came to them. One stranger raised their arms as though they were holding something, while the other said, look at these pants. Here is the jacket and a matching tie. They are as light as spider webs. You might think you didn't have a thing on, but that's the good thing about them. Oh yes, said the emperor, but he couldn't see a thing for Nothing was really there. They offered to put the new suit on him right there in front of a large mirror. The emperor took off his clothes and the strangers pretended to dress him piece by piece with the new ones that were to be fitted. The emperor came out and looked into the mirror. What do you think he saw? Goodness, they suit you so well. What a perfect fit, the strangers said. Yes, I'm ready for my procession, said the emperor. Don't they look stunning? 
and he turned once more to look in the mirror, because it had to appear as though he were admiring himself in all his glory. The emperor walked through the streets of town in the procession, and all the people in the street secretly gasped, because they saw him with no clothing at all. But to their neighbors, they said, wow, the emperor's new clothes are wonderful. And their neighbors replied, really, we have never seen anything like it. No one wanted to admit that they couldn't see them because they wanted to be thought of as God's favorite people. All except for one person, a young girl. She knew what the emperor thought that he was so rich and powerful because he was God's favorite, but she didn't buy it. It was obvious that the emperor had inherited a lot of money from his parents, who had also inherited their wealth. And she saw how hard her own parents worked cleaning the streets of the town and how much money they had to pay in taxes to the emperor who already had so much. The townspeople went along with this because it seemed impossible to change. It looked to her like this was why he was so rich and powerful, nothing else. The girl trusted the evidence in front of her. So she said what no one else would. The emperor is naked. The crowd fell silent. No one saw the strangers with their bags of money and buttons and gold buckles slip out the back. All eyes were on the emperor who was frozen. He quickly regained his composure and began to walk confidently again as though nothing had happened, but it was too late. The people who used to believe that they were poorer than the emperor because God liked him more had already seen too much. The end. Hmm. Let's pause the chat for a few moments during our meditation and prayer. So let's prepare to meditate. Find a comfortable seat. Feel the connection of whatever is supporting you with your body. Let your hands rest someplace comfortable. Take a deep inhalation. Pull your shoulders up to your ears. And exhale. Soften down. Today's meditation is a simple one, based on simple but enormous questions. Who do you love? What is beautiful to you? Where is home? As we hold these questions, we'll sit together in silence.
come together as a church to share our lives, to help carry what is heavy, to celebrate what brings joy. The sharing is an act of trust and vulnerability and generosity, weaving strength and resilience into our community. Please share first your joys and then concerns in the chat bar as prompted by the video. If you cannot share in the chat for any reason, we still want to hear from you. So please contact us at caring at uuabq.org. De un show está vivido Con esfuerzo que va quemando el amor Ardiente como el fuego Amor de madre, amor de hijos Siguiendo fieles el ejemplo de Cristo Hay tanto que dar y tan poco que pedir Madre Santa del Cielo, hoy cantamos para ti, unidos en la alianza de amor. Vamos construyendo sueños, juntos en la misión, tú y yo por ellos. Toma mi vida, piensa mi voluntad Ayúdanos siempre a amar la verdad Y así lograr la santidad Quiero transformarte, hijo predilecto Y yo voy a guiarte y sigue a tu hermano Sé todo para todos, entrégate sin miedo Y descubre tu misión Y yo sembraré en la tierra fértil Llenar el huerto de tu corazón Madre Santa del Cielo Hoy cantamos para ti Unidos en lazos de fe Vamos construyendo sueños Juntos en la misión Tú y yo Piensa mi voluntad Ayúdanos siempre a amar la verdad Y así lograr la santidad
All these joys and concerns and all the joys and concerns that we hold in our heart unspoken but are no less deeply felt, all of them we lift up to the great powers of celebration and healing and renewal known by many names. Let's pray together. We mourn with Brenda Cole as she grieves the passing of her little brother Chris Cook. May light perpetual shine upon him. We mourn the deaths of Muhammad Ahmadi, Aftab Hussein, Naeem Hussein, and Muhammad Afzal Hussein, who were shot on the streets of Albuquerque. May Islamophobia find no home here. We pray for those injured at the Gallup Intertribal Celebration. May their recovery be swift and easy. We lift up all those who are unhoused or who lack housing security. May all people who live on the street be viewed with compassion. We give thanks for the people fighting for justice on behalf of the oppressed, whether it be in the courts or in the ballot boxes. May we have hope even as we fight. We rejoice with the families and staff who made our first sleepaway church camp in two years possible. May they, may they know the gratitude of this community and may the participants hold happy memories for many years to come. And we give thanks for this gathered community. May we journey together towards wholeness. And we give thanks for healing and renewal. May we remember the possibilities of new life, new ways, and new worlds. And may we all be held in the heart of love. Peace be with you. There's too many of you crying Brother, brother, brother There's far too many of you dying You know you've got to find a way To bring some love in here today Father, father We don't need to escalate War is not the answer Only love can conquer hate You know we've got to find a way me with brutality talk to me 
apologizes simply cause our hair is long. You know we've got to find a way to bring some understanding here today. Picket lines and picket signs don't punish me. of questioning or wondering is a sacred practice in Unitarian Universalism. It's even reflected in the principles we affirm and promote, especially the fourth one, which is the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. But as I like to say, all religion begins with a question, began with a question, when humankind's first ancestors started looking around and asking, what does this mean? What does this mean? So once in a while, we make questions the center of a Sunday service. We have been receiving your questions all week and last Sunday in the chat. And so today, instead of a regular sermon for our question box sermon, Bob and I will take turns drawing your questions and speaking off the cuff, sharing some of our thoughts about them as your ministers. So, Bob, are you ready for me to draw the first question out? All right. Go ahead, Angela. Okay. What you got? Let's see. Mm. This one says, why do Albuquerque Unitarians preach welcome, belonging, and inclusivity, but are so cold and unfriendly to newcomers? <laughs> what a way to begin. Yeah. Um, you know, this question just breaks my heart because I have heard this story over and over from folks who come to this church, try to make a, a home here and don't quite settle in. And I think what I'll say, one of the things it's just, this is a big church and it's very much a challenge to find a place in a big church. It's easy to feel lost in that big sanctuary. It's hard to figure out where among all the activities is the place for a person. And, uh, um, and honestly, we could just do better. We could just do better. What do you think, Angela? Yeah, I, you know, I hear, um, I hear different responses about what people's first time experiences are like in the church. And, you know, one thing that stands out to me is that sometimes people feel really welcomed. Occasionally, I've even heard from someone who felt barraged by welcoming, it was uncomfortable. Um, and then sometimes I hear that somebody didn't feel welcomed at all. And, you know, it is, um, it does make me sad when somebody doesn't have a good first experience, whichever way it goes. Um, and I, and so I think, you know, when I read this question just now, I, I feel like it's not just a question. It's, it's a different kind of question because it's really not just for the ministers. It's a question to the congregation in a way. Um, and so a couple of things I would lift up. One, one is um, that 
you know, in a congregation of, or a community of over a thousand people, which I think we are, if you add up members, adult members and children and people who are here, but haven't formally joined, we're a really big congregation. Um, not everybody's going to be in the same sort of welcoming headspace on a Sunday morning. And, and, it, and it may be that something is going on for that person that we don't know, right? Like, so it's hard to, it's hard to know why somebody may come off as grumpy or, or, you know, we don't know each other's stories. And so I hope we can extend some grace to each other about that. But also I think this question is a reminder that even if you're not serving as an usher or a greeter, or you're not a staff person or, you know, having some official role, um, your interaction with someone else in the congregation might really make an impression on them. And so we are all part of that welcoming team. Mm. You know, it reminds me of... Oh, go ahead. Do you want to say something else? Oh, did you... uh, Were you done, Angela? I'm sorry. Well, there's a second uh, part to this question, but what were you going to say? Oh, uh, just... It reminds me of something that uh, I heard in seminary a few times, and I bet you did too, Angela, which is is to treat every Sunday as if for somebody in the congregation, it's the day they're it's the it's the day that they're giving the church one last chance, mm-hmm. and for somebody else in the congregation, it's it's the day where they're giving life one last chance. And I think if we hold that anytime we have an encounter with folks, it brings a special kind of compassion to mm-hmm. that encounter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so this question um, says also, uh, please let me know if earnest, enthusiastic, energetic, gregarious people who don't look the part are welcome in this congregation and we will return and sing and serve we'd love to so (laughs) are they welcome everybody yeah yes please give it another chance yeah yeah if they're watching i sure hope they come back and also uh our staff email is glitchy right now and we can't send emails outside of the church but i've been wanting to email this person and invite them to coffee so yeah yeah. So thanks for your patience while we fix that. Are we ready for the next one? Ready. All right. Pulling out the goblet here. Oh, all right. Uh, one of the greatest critics of Unitarian Universalist ministry points out that most UU ministers live in their own world. It's Bob's world, and we're just living in it. <laughs> They seem to spend a lot of their time discussing their principles, meeting in committees, and talking among themselves, and cut off from the real world. Mm. Would you like to respond, Angela? Wow. <laughs> we got a couple of heavy ones for these first two questions. Well, let me say, when I hear the phrase, one of Unitarian Universalism's greatest critics, um, and this idea of ministers being cut off, I immediately think of Ralph Waldo Emerson's Divinity School Address in the 1800s. And so that was a very famous sermon he delivered in which he sharply criticized Unitarian ministers for being cut off from the world. And I wonder if that's actually what this is a reference to in terms of like who that critic is. Um, So it it does make me think of like the, the um, evolution of ministry, like over the years, like back then ministry was, it was very important to be um, what is called, what was called a learned minister. Like it was very um, intellectual, very much about being well-studied. Um, and, you know, over the decades and more than a century, almost two centuries, I think since then, um, there's been a huge evolution so that, um, you know, our formation is different. We're definitely expected to be engaged in the world. Um, but, you know, when I, and when I think about what that looks like now, 
you know, I think about just in the last year, the different kinds of things that have been part of my work as a minister from um, holding someone's hand as they died to marching in the street to, you know, offering somebody a blessing uh, also with my hands. Um, I think about, you know, all of those components of it. And, and then also the committee work, yes, which I'll say is, um, in my experience, is jarring for a lot of ministers when they go into ministry, you know, charged up to serve and to connect with people and to help heal the world. And they find themselves sitting in a lot of committees. And there's a, a mindset shift that has to happen where you understand that without the planning and the organization that creates this institution, there is not this launching off place for all of those things. You know, there would not, there would not be the ministry we do if we didn't also um, support it with our planning. So that's the background. Um, and, and I would also just say that uh, another part of ministry that um, I wouldn't have imagined is how much like my real world, my personal world has had to be lived out in the public eye. So talk about like living in the real world, not only in it, but it's out. Truly, truly. Uh, it's funny that you went to Ralph Waldo Emerson because I immediately thought of there's a guy who actually has a restraining order against them who is a uh, has some serious issues, who's been an outspoken critic uh, on the internet and at a church in Canada, like picketing. He's actually not allowed to get closer than 300 feet to the church. Uh, and he um, somehow, like, this is the power of the internet, still has like a, a, a pulpit and that people listen to. And it's really disconcerting because he, when he turns his guns on a specific minister, it's a really uncomfortable place for them because uh, he's not fair in his criticism. I think my experience was, you know, I know a lot of ministers, obviously, and for a lot of ministers, you, uh, ministry is a second career, and their first career was often in one of the caring professions, in teaching or in being, uh, I know someone who was a judge, I know people who were nonprofit workers, uh, and th these are people who had a front row seat to the misery of the world and wanted to find a different way to engage with it. So they're very grounded in what is going on in the world and trying to apply that to their ministry. You know, for myself, you know, I'm, I've worked at state government, I've worked in federal government, I've been an officer in the Marine Corps, I've managed a homeless shelter, I ran a small business, I worked for a big corporation. I think I know what the real world is like, <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, you know, and Angela could, could share a similar litany, you know, and then, and especially as a parent and all that, the things they bring, I think, it's a funny question. I think, like, if I could actually avoid the real world, that would be an amazing thing to do. But I cannot. Like, it's right. the real, real world intrudes, especially the last couple of years, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's interesting. If someone really thinks that, that like, Angela and I are isolated, come and talk to us. We'd love to talk to you about what it's like. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. My turn? Yeah. We have the same questions in our containers here, so we may duplicate. Let's see, and then we'll move on. Okay, here's one. Unitarian Universalism is based on including all people despite their beliefs. I have a hard time embracing Nazis and, and here this person actually mentions a specific religious group, but I'm not gonna pair that with the word Nazis. Um, how can I get over this? 
Right on. It's a, it's a first principle problem, right? And I think it's a little bit, it's important to pull out the nuances of what the, what our, you know, valuing the inherent worth, affirming the inherent worth and dignity of every individual. What does that mean? Does it mean we have to agree with everything that everybody does? Absolutely not. And all the rest of the principles, you know, help us understand like what that person, you know, whether that person is aligned with the Unitarian universe, Universalist values or not. Uh, so, uh, so we have a, a mandate, I think, to never take away somebody's humanity, no matter how poorly they behave, no matter what's going on. And I know that's been challenging the past six years, uh, but um, one of my core theologies is that there's always the possibility that people will change, that people will evolve. And I, if I didn't believe that, I probably should not be a minister. So I, I try to hold to that. It's also a really challenging theology to me because I see so much misbehavior and it's really easy and even comforting to hate somebody for, for that. Um, and you know, they, they talk about like hate the, hate the sin and love the sinner. You know, we don't use that language, sin language in Unitarian Universalism, but this idea about, you know, or hate the game, not the player. <laughs> I think uh, uh, that's the challenge for us. It's like, how can we keep open to the possibility of evolution and not resort to hate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I would say um, it's pretty a common misunderstanding that the idea that being you, you means you, accepting all beliefs and you can believe anything you want. Um, but that's actually not quite true. Um, because even though we don't have a creed, we do say it does matter what you believe. I mean, some beliefs are really harmful um, and dehumanizing and other beliefs affirm life and create more goodness in the world. So not all beliefs are equal. Um, but if one of our core beliefs is affirming humanity, then we're going to live that way. When, even when we disagree with somebody and it, and it doesn't mean not having healthy boundaries or challenging um, harmful beliefs, but um, it does mean doing so with, like you're saying, Bob, like belief in somebody's ability to, to learn and also being open to our own learning. Right. I actually have a, a, a colleague, we have a colleague who works at a church in New Hampshire, another UU minister who has on his forearm tattooed, I could be wrong. <laughs> and words are facing him so that he's reminded as he looks down that, you know, could be wrong. Could be wrong. <laughs> People who are sure are really dangerous, I think. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> All right. Anything else on that one? No, I don't think so. Okay. Let's see what we got here. Oh, we already did that one. Okay. Um, oh. Uh, what is your favorite Unitarian Universalist joke? <laughs> oh, I can't think of a favorite Unitarian Universalist joke. Possibly I've just heard all of them too much to like <laughs> them anymore. Uh, I have a favorite kids joke though. And I feel like I might've shared it from the pulpit before, although I can't imagine why I would have. Uh, but okay, ready, Bob? Yeah. Why did the toilet paper roll down the hill? I don't know. Why did the toilet paper roll down the hill? They wanted to get to the bottom. Oh. <laughs> Bob, why did it cry when it got there? <laughs> why did it cry when it got there? I don't know. It wiped out. Oh. 
You're welcome, everyone. You're welcome. <laughs> you, actually, you actually told that joke from the pulpit? I Did I? You guys, tell me in the chat if you remember me saying this before. That is awesome. <laughs> and if, if I said it and you forgot it. Who says ministers are not connected to the real world? <laughs> All right, this is the, there's a lot of jokes, you jokes, and I don't know if this is my favorite, but this is what I like I've been thinking about. Uh, so this woman goes to visit a UU church for the first time, and she's sitting and in the pews listening to the sermon and gets more and more irritated by what she's listening. By the end of the sermon, she's absolutely fuming at what this minister is spouting. And afterwards, she's at coffee hour. She's still stuck around for the coffee and a congregant came up to her and said, hey, what'd you think about the service? And she thought, and she says, I thought it was terrible. I, I, I hated half of what that minister was saying. And the congregant said, well, you'll fit right in here. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody's free to disagree with the ministers, but I hope you right. don't. And, and what, like, and what I like is it teases out this thing about if we're going to be in theological diversity, like we're going to hear stuff that we don't, we don't agree with. It doesn't resonate for us. And that's something we have to live with, with being Unitarian Universalists. And it's part of, it's either like a big downer or a creative tension that brings us to new insights. Yeah. I mean, whenever we preach, we know we could be wrong, right? <laughs> Right. For sure. And we hear about it, you know, and the funny thing is we hear like we're wrong in different, often opposite ways from different people. And yeah, you know, oh, yeah, awesome. for sure. That tells me that we erased it. Yeah. Actually, it, I read something beautiful uh, the other day. It was a by a Christian minister. I think he was a Methodist or Lutheran, mainline Protestant of some sort. Uh, and someone had asked him if he thought well, the world would be a better place if everyone, uh, everyone was a Christian. And he said, absolutely not. Like what we in this religious endeavor are trying to do with each of our religions, what each of us are trying to like convey or understand is too rich and too nuanced for one religion to get entirely right. And that we need a hundred or a thousand religions to create this whole picture of what the divine or an ethical life looks like, you know? So I, I thought that was really touching and it really spoke to what it is to be a Unitarian Universalist. I think of different you know, religions or, or spiritualities as being like different languages or different windows onto the divine a lot of the time. And yet one is not for everyone. And so, I mean, I, I think like leaning into that quest or that joke, you know, um, it, you use not for everybody and, and that's okay. Like sometimes another path is the right path. That's fine. Totally. All right. I think. All right. Mine. Let's see here. This is the critics one again. So we already did that one. <laughs> okay, here's one. Should I stay friends with people who cheat on their partners or are affair partners? Hmm. That's a great question. And I think this speaks to a conundrum that we, a lot of us have in a general sense is, should we, what do we do when we're friends with flawed people? And that, again, speaks to our first principle. Can, can we affirm the inherent worth and dignity of a person who uh, may not be behaving the way that we behave? And uh, I think a lot of this depends on the specifics and also about, uh, you mentioned earlier, Angela, having healthy boundaries. Like we need to know what, what we're comfortable with for ourselves. And if somebody's doing a behavior that um, really hurts us to even witness, 
then we need to protect ourselves and step away from that relationship. But sometimes staying in a relationship with people who are not all there ethically can help them give them a lifeline out. Like you can still be a role model uh, or, or like an inspiration or like a guiding light for a person. I know like, you know, I've changed a lot over my life, thank God. And a lot of it was because there were people who were patient with me when I was not behaving well and they stayed in relationship with me and that made all the difference. So hmm. it's an individual call. What do you think, Angela? This is a tough one. It is because, I mean, there are definitely times in life when someone we know does something, you know, that they may do something that we find unconscionable and we decide we cannot, we cannot stay in relationship with them um, because it's too uncomfortable, you know, or, or we've tried to talk with them and we just disagree too strongly and it's not, it's just not possible to maintain a, a connection. But other times, um, you know, there's sort of gradations, right? Of um, like how unethical we feel something is or, and I'm not commenting specifically on um, marital agreements or infidelity or fidelity right now, but, um, but in general, cause this question connects with, you know, I heard somebody a while back um, was wondering whether they should stay in a friendship with a, with a friend who is in a, an abusive relationship and wouldn't leave it, you know? Um, and that was really painful for this friend to, to observe. Um, and others, you know, of course, in the last several years, especially have wondered whether they could remain connected with people with really strongly opposing political beliefs, um, as another example. So there's some room for discernment in there also. I think about, you know, um, it's, we have to be careful about um, judging each other harshly versus um, having empathy and being curious about how someone arrived at the decision they did and like what's in there that we may not understand. Um, but also, you know, once we've been careful about that, I, I think there is a time and a place when we might distance ourselves, but, but that's after some discernment and considering whether that's, you know, necessary. And, um, that was, that was very much like a, a it depends answer. Yeah. So probably maybe not very helpful for the asker, but I'm yeah. <laughs> sympathetic to your situation. If you want to talk more, you know, give me a ding. Yeah. One thing we're always glad to do as ministers is to help you think something through, like just to support you in that process totally totally all right i guess i'm up huh uh let's see oh we got that one already uh let's see how does a recovering christian find a new god how do you fire your old god Ooh. all right yeah how does a recovering christian find a new god how do you fire your old god well, I think the phrase recovering Christian is an interesting one because we have some Christians here in the congregation that are UU Christians. And so, you know, that really calls attention to the varieties of Christianity that exist, right? Um, but in general, when a, a theology or a God has come to not feel like a good fit anymore and we're looking for something new, I think it's important to get clear with ourselves about what it is we don't believe in right? Because sometimes we want to throw the whole baby out with the bathwater. Last week, I preached about um, tossing out, you know, our whole story, our whole, our whole master's story rather than like adapting it. Um, and so, you know, we should be specific with ourselves about what we don't believe in. And then I think we should trust our, our, you read, you know, like if something doesn't feel true about God or theology, we, we can trust that um, 
skepticism or knowing in ourselves um, and, and start to articulate to ourselves what we do believe in. Yeah, it's really hard, you know, as a person who grew up Catholic and then obviously is very not Catholic anymore. Uh, it's still, it's, I wish I was as sure about what I believe now as I was sure about Catholicism when I was 10 years old, mm -hmm. you know, but maybe that's part of being an adult too. And the whole, you could be wrong thing. Um, and, and I think you're right. Like there's like I, Christianity, that word, I think almost has lost any meaning because it's so the varieties of the Christian expressions of faith and, uh, has has gotten so weird and huge that it could really mean anything mm -hmm. so um i do i just want to acknowledge though that a lot of people who are unitarian universalists come to this religion be with trauma from their prior religion yes. they were hit over the head by a bible told they were not good enough or they were wrong uh and um, those scars are really intense and they should be they need to be nurtured and acknowledged you know? Yeah, the God that whacks people with Bibles is the one I don't believe in either. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's enough. Yeah. I also think, um, oh, I, I see someone's mentioning the, the uh, Build Your Own Theology curriculum. We're actually, uh, this, this coming Saturday, we're starting a, a Creating Theology Together. It's a, an updated version of Build Your Own Theology, where um, we're going to work on our own theologies, but also think about what it is that we share as a group, sort of moving past the individualism of the old school UU into a sense of like, what is our, what is our community values, community theology? So if you're interested in doing that, send an email to me or Lara, uh, and we'll set you up in the, on the forum. It's a, I think it's a four weekend or three weekend. I can't remember. Uh, this is what comes beyond vacation does, but it starts Saturday. So uh, if you're interested in, going deep on your theology, uh, let me know. And you mentioned Lara, I'm gonna drop her email in the chat. So if folks wanna email her, they've got that. Nice, thank you. She's our Director of Congregational Life. And thank you, Lucy, for, for mentioning that. I think we've got time for one more. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's gonna be in person this time. I'm gonna just start answering the question yep. in the chat. Um, it's gonna be person this time. I wanna see, I've never taught this before. So I'll see what it's like teaching it in person, and then we'll adapt it for online, do an online version too. So everybody can feel welcome. Is it my turn to ask or yours? Oh, your, your turn, your turn. Is it mine? I think it's mine, okay. Yeah. Um, how can you include other major religions in your services and readings, Judaism and Islam, for example, to be more inclusive? Good one. Um, uh, like, I, like you've probably seen, we, we're pretty good with, including Christianity, making references to the gospels and also Buddhism. And that's a reflection of both Angela and I's, our own sort of spiritual heritage. We, we both have done a lot of work with that. I'm probably less comfortable uh, bringing in Islam and uh, um, Judaism because I'm just not as familiar with those, uh, those traditions. And also just the sense of, um, I wonder if they're mine to share, you know, as someone who's never practiced either one of them. And uh, that's a fine line because uh, I don't think everything we do here doesn't have to be based on my own experience by any means. And we want to accommodate folks. I remember recently, um, or no, not recently, a couple of years ago, uh, there was a, a family came to me that their mother who not really practiced Judaism, but wanted, but like felt 
her identity as she was Judaism. She had just passed, and she wanted a funeral that used Judaism, you know, elements from from the Torah. And uh, like no rabbi would do that, so I was kind of finessing it, asked to finesse it, um, and I had mixed feelings about that. So, I don't, what do you think, Angela? Um, well, this question appeared in the chat last week, and I, I remember noticing it when it popped up and thinking it was interesting. I mean, we had just had um, a call to worship that was written by a like 16th century um, writer in, in India, uh, so it was like there, there was there was some of that kind of um, you know diversity already in the service that day mm-hmm. um and we often do have readings from different traditions or or from from uh, people who represent different traditions like who's own who are themselves you know of different traditions um and i think one thing that happens sometimes is maybe we're not maybe other traditions aren't showing up in our services in the way an individual might expect or hope um, so, and then I think, you know, a conversation about what those expectations or hopes are is in order, you know, and for example, um, kind of to your point, Bob, we, we're not going to be incorporating like a full ritual from another tradition, like into our, into a UU service, because that would be um, cultural appropriation, you know, or it's not, it's be out of context. Um, and likewise, even when I'm pulling, like personally, if I'm pulling in wisdom from another tradition or source into like a sermon, um, I, I want, I like doing that, but I always want to also be careful not to cherry pick, you know, or just like use things for my own point. Um, I, I want to honor their, the context that they're coming from. Um, and that does take a lot of knowledge. A lot of times it means I have to do some extra research or talk to somebody else before I bring something in. Um, and so I'm just careful about how, how often I do that or like the ways that I do that. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of rich wisdom out there. I see the, yeah, it's something to use it all, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, um, back when Unitarianism first sort of stopped thinking of scripture, our own scriptures literally and threw open the door to the world's traditions, there was a lot more just sort of free taking and incorporating and trying things out. I and mean, we've learned over the years that that's not a great model for diversity, um, that an accountable relational diversity is really how we want to be. And that means um, exercising more discernment about when to do that. That's great. All right, I think that's it for our, we're actually gonna go a couple of minutes over today. So thank you for the good questions. Appreciate it. Far too often, we are forced to confront the terrible things that people can do to each other. When these things happen, one thing we can do is come together in places like this church to remind ourselves that there is still hope, there is still love, there are still good-hearted people who can look unblinkingly into the storm and continue to believe a calm, bright morning will come. This community is the refuge where we can keep the ember of hope alive when all the world seems intent on dousing it. And then we can use our little ember of light, a beacon for the rest of the world. Our offerings each week sustain this community so we can share our small embers of light and to light a dark world. Family Promise of Albuquerque, our Change for the Future recipient for June, July, and August, empowers families in Albuquerque and Rio Rancho who are at risk of homelessness or currently experiencing homelessness. Their clients are supported as they achieve sustainable independence 
through a community-based response. Volunteers from First Unitarian have supported Family Promise for many years. You can make an offering online by clicking on the link that we'll put in the chat box. And if you prefer not to give online, you can simply email, uh, simply mail a check to the church and include change for the future on the memo line. Let us now give freely and generously an offering to sustain and strengthen our religious community. As I was walking down the street one day
but is generously given, is received with gratitude. Thank you on behalf of First Unitarian and on behalf of Family Promise. We're coming to the end of our service, but um, before you go, I want to share a discussion question. Another question on top of all the questions. This question is, what questions stood out for you? What questions stood out for you? So let's do our Pacham greeting. Place one hand on your heart, with the other hand reaching out towards our gathered community. Blessed be and thank you. Angela, would you like to give us a benediction? I would. As we extinguish our chalices and candles, friends, go in peace and may love bless you and keep you until we're gathered again. Blessed be. <laughs>